Awesome. Awesome. Thanks, Micah. Team. Uh, our kids can head back and be with uh, our, our workers in Transformation Station. Have an awesome time back there this morning. And uh, I'd like to rest, invite the rest of you to open your copy of God's life-giving word to the Gospel of John. We'll be in chapter 3 this morning, uh, starting in verse 16. So if you're using one of the Bibles we provide there, it's page 888 uh, in the Bibles we provide uh, here this morning. Um, well, it is, uh, it is an exciting time of the year, uh, by, by uh, my estimation at least. I love uh, the holiday season. I love Thanksgiving. We had a nice feast uh, a couple weeks ago. And I uh, spent some quality time with friends and actually just got to relax for a change. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's kind of the, the nicest part of our Thanksgiving was just being able to unplug a little bit and to, uh, to spend some, some time at home with the girls. Like, we raked leaves. And uh, by the way, I'm going to make a confession right here on the spot, all right? I wish Parker and Kessid were in here because um, we, we worked hard raking our leaves while Marsha was gone to the store for like 90 minutes, maybe a couple hours, probably turned into three. I think she had two, turned into three. That's how it works with her. Um, but anyway, um, so, so we were raking the leaves, and there were a lot of, we have all kinds of trees on the, like, one side of our house, so there were a lot of leaves to rake. And, uh, and so we're out there raking the leaves and bagging them up, and then my neighbor comes out with his snow, with his, no, snow blower, his leaf blower. Okay, so he's, he's got his leaf blower, he's doing his thing, and he's like, you know, I'm looking at him like, man, you, come on now. And, but he actually let me borrow the leaf blower. So I told Marsha that we worked really, really hard and really, really fast, and uh, now is the first moment she found out that we were, we were going to let the cat out of the bag sometime, so there you go. <laughs> Uh, anyway, but yeah, love, love this time of the year, Thanksgiving, uh, a lot of fun. And then, of course, you know, as soon as Thanksgiving hits, already like Christmas time, which is kind of backwards a little bit, but that's just the way our culture works. And so Black Friday, Cyber Monday, uh, Christmas is coming, right? And, and now we can shift gears and, and listen to, you know, our favorite Christmas carols and songs and hymns of the faith and all of this. Um, it's, a, it's a lot of fun. It's a great time of the year. Uh, and I, I want you to think about this. I think as we think about Christmas, what, what makes Christmas Christmas? What is Christmas all about? I think we can, in some ways, uh, sum it up with two words, okay? Number one, gifts, I mean, most people, when they think about Christmas, they start thinking about a tree, and then under that tree are gifts that uh, most of us, if we're being honest, we're kind of more excited most of the time in our lives about receiving gifts versus giving gifts. But as we, as we grow older and mature, right, hopefully, sort of, um, we, we enjoy even giving gifts more than receiving gifts. But gifts are a huge part of the Christmas season, all right? Whether, whether it's a gift that, that you absolutely love or, you know, that kind of uh, 15th pair of socks, you know, from grandmother uh, that you've received for 15 years in a row. I mean, you never know what you're going to get, but, but gifts are a huge part of Christmas. But then also, I want you to think about this word, and this word we've been seeing in the Gospel of John. We started this just a couple of months ago. Uh, the second word I want you to think about is glory. Gifts and glory. You see, the, the story of Christmas is the story of Christ. And uh, when Christ was born, uh, there were uh, shepherds nearby in the little town of Bethlehem. And, and the story goes in Luke 2 that these angels appeared to the shepherds with a great announcement. And they wanted them to know that, that all of their hopes, all of, all of the promises uh, were going to be fulfilled now in this little tiny baby 
who would be the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And when they announced his arrival, what did they say? Glory to God in the highest, right? So, so glory, as we've been seeing in the Gospel of John, glory is making known the internal perfections of God, all right? The, the glory of God is, is how, how perfect uh, and, and holy he is being made public for people to know. So it's, it's God radiating all of his character and attributes for us to be able to see and comprehend and grasp and hopefully receive. And so the glory of God, it says in John chapter 1, um, that the, the, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have beheld what? His glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so I think uh, Christmas is about gifts, but Christmas is about glory. And so what we're going to see today is that that Jesus is God's greatest gift, and he is a most glorious gift indeed. This is the theme of John 3, 16 through 21. We're gonna be talking about Jesus, the gift of love and life. And, and my encouragement, my hope, my, my prayer, at least that you will consider this morning, okay? Even if you're just considering that you would consider what it might look like to receive the greatest gift ever known that comes from the greatest love ever known. That's like if you, if you asked me to sum up Christianity and my relationship with God through Jesus, I'm going to say something to the effect that God has given me the greatest gift the world, I believe, has ever known through the greatest love the world has ever known. And that, I believe, is what John 3.16 and following is all about. So I want to read these verses uh, with us, uh, for us, and then um, we'll just break them down uh, one by one as we go. Uh, This is what the gospel writer John writes, uh, starting in verse 16. says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. So what we saw last week, if you remember, at the beginning of of John chapter 3, and we really need to understand, so we kind of jump right to John 3.16 without remembering uh, what came before it. But as Pastor Reddy explained to us last week, that, that there was this fascinating conversation between Jesus and this religious leader named Nicodemus. 
all right? And, and Nicodemus came to him, and he was curious as to who Jesus was. So he says, Rabbi, we know you're, you must be a good teacher because you're seeing all these amazing things that you're doing, these signs from God. Surely, surely uh, you're this important teacher that we need to pay attention to. And Jesus just comes right out with it, and he says, look, uh, Nicodemus, I'll tell you the truth. Um, no one can see the kingdom of God. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is reborn on the inside. And so Jesus then proceeds to tell Nicodemus how that can happen, all right? He says it's by the Spirit that we're remade on the inside, okay? The, the Spirit of God uh, causes us to see Christ, and, and then we, we look to him and find life. But, but what are we looking to? Well, it, it, it comes in the final verses of that passage where in verse uh, 14, Jesus is reflecting, and he says this, um, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... So must the Son of Man, referring to himself, be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So, so in other words, Jesus is drawing this point of comparison from the Old Testament of, of how that the, the people of Israel uh, were, were finding life by looking to this, this serpent that was raised up on a pole. That was God's prescribed remedy for them to experience life in the midst of these, these serpents that were actually coming and biting them and taking their life. And so Jesus draws this parallel and says, just as Moses prescribed that remedy from God, there's a new remedy that's now here, and, and it is the remedy of myself. I will also be lifted up. Like that serpent was lifted up, I'll be lifted up on a Roman cross so that if you look to me, you will experience life. So that is the how of God's offer of salvation, the gift that he offers every single person. How can we receive the gift? It's by God showing us that we need it, moving our heart to look to Jesus on the cross and what he did for us, and then believing in him. But this week, now we shift gears, and, and we find out why God would do this. Like, what would, what would motivate God to offer this gift to people like you and me? And so John 3, 16 begins and shows us that the love of God is what's motivating his gift of life in Christ. It's the love of God that motivates his gift of life in Christ. John 3, 16 again, just listen to these words. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, uh, are you familiar with this verse? Like, like maybe some of you have heard it so many times that you could just say it with me. You could just, you, could, you have it memorized, you've, you've, you've quoted it, and, 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 and many people would say, look, this verse is, is not only the, the one that summarizes the gospel of John the best, but many people would argue that this particular verse is the verse that really, if you had to choose one verse, it summarizes the entire Bible the best. And you know, I think that's really hard to argue with that position. There are other verses that, that, that are right up there, come really close, but this verse, John 3, 16, it is a great summary of the scripture. In, in fact, in some ways, it, it can almost become kind of ubiquitous in our culture. It can kind of like show up everywhere. I mean, do you ever watch major sporting events? 
And you know, at right when it's you know, time to kick the extra point or the field goal, some mysterious man pops up this yellow sign. If you look really closely, you can see here underneath the field goal post, there it is, front row, John 3.16. And I mean, I don't, I don't know how this guy gets everywhere. You know what I'm saying? Like he's like, he's, he's, he's on the East Coast and the West Coast at the very same time. I mean, it's like this... This is amazing, all right? I don't, know if, I don't know if he coordinated like a posse of John 3.16, you know, people to like bounce around uh, from, from, you know, event to event. But, but regardless, the point being, here's, here's our one sign. And so the one verse, since we're not going to represent our team, we're going to represent Jesus, all right? We're going to let everybody know it's, it's John 3.16. Uh, so so, so here's, here's just what I want you to consider this morning, all right? Um, if there's ever a verse in the Bible that's subject to the, the phrase, familiarity breeds contempt. Do you understand that, right? The more familiar we, come, we become with, with something or someone or some uh, claim or truth, then, then we can kind of just treat it as commonplace. We can kind of, you know, uh, become, you know, just, oh, yeah, I know that. I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. But, but my prayer for us is this today, that, that God would impress this, this verse on our hearts in a very fresh and a very powerful way. If, if we're coming to this verse in, in such a way that we're saying, you know what, man, I've got that, I know that, I can move on from that, um, I think we're showing something in our hearts that's missing. Because we should... When, when we hear this, these words, God so loved the, the world that, that, that he, would, he would give him to, to die for us, it should really cause us to step back. It should cause a sense of wonder and amazement that, that God would love us in this kind of way. And so that's what I want to hopefully help us uh, to, to consider this morning, uh, the limitless love of, of God that we see here in Christ, right? So, so let me give you three just kind of uh, characteristics of the limitless love of God, okay? Number one, the love of God is limitless in its quality. The love of God is limitless in its quality. Uh, what is driving God? To do what he does is who he is, all right? I hope you're tracking with me here. So, so God loves because it's who God is. God can't help but give love, but because God is love. It's the essence of who he is. The most natural thing for God to do is to distribute his love to people. And so uh, Mike Reeves, a theologian in England, puts it like this. He says this, the very nature of the triune God, all right, check this out, this is good, is to be effusive, ebullient, and bountiful. He finds his very self in pouring out his love. Creation and redemption, as he argues in his book, is about the spreading, the diffusion, the outward explosion of that love. That is amazing love, right? And I know those are some big words there that I had to kind of look up in the dictionary the first time that I read this paragraph too, but, but effusive means to lack restraint. 
not holding back in any way. Ebulent is overflowing, check this out, with fervor, enthusiasm, and excitement. This is the way that God loves us. His love is bountiful. It's abundant. It doesn't run out. It doesn't run dry. It's always overflowing. And it also is, is he says, it's about the spreading the diffusion, the outward explosion of his love. What a picture. An explosion is a sudden burning, bursting forth, Right? And so when, when God steps on the scene in the person of Christ, the, the eternal son of God, what happens is love just showed up. The effusive, ebullient, bountiful love of God arrives in the person of Christ. This greatness is unmeasured in its intensity. You see, the the best that God had to give, he gave us in Christ. He held nothing back. I mean, I don't know about you, but but sometimes it's hard for me. Like, number one, it's kind of hard just to give and be generous. But then on top of that, I have to be honest, like it's even more difficult for me to give you my best. We can talk about, you know, Thanksgiving and that favorite dessert, you know what I'm saying? When, When somebody makes that just, absolute favorite, you know, like you want to go ahead and get that piece first, and then you want to kind of like cut a couple more and hide it in the fridge, you know what I'm saying? So not have to like give it all away, and, and, and we just, we, we could look at so many examples of how we, we see this in our lives. Now, I'll give you a little bit, I'll give you a little bit of my time, but I'm not sure I'm going to give you my, my best. I'll, I'll give you a little bit of my, my spare change, but I don't know if I'll give you my best my best. See, God gives us his best and when he gives us his only son. This is, this is how we see it. I mean, think about it. God sends Jesus, his, his one and only son, his unique son. Love takes what belongs to self and it provides generously for someone else. God did not have to be coerced into giving his love. He, he gave it generously and specifically, and he gave his only son to die a criminal's death. So when we see the word, all right, let me just give you a little, little lesson in exegesis, okay? I think this is right, all right? Um, when it says, for God so loved, all right? When we, we read that, I think we read it sometimes like, for God so loved the world, Right? And it, and it is true that God so loves, all right? But, but here, it's not talking as much about degree or extent as it is talking about manner, how he loved. And we know this from even the context where we see that, that, that he just told us how Christ would die for us on the cross. And so every, every other time when this verse is used, uh, this word is used, I'm sorry, 14 times in the Gospel of John, it's always talking about the manner in which God has loved or the manner in which something is done. And so if we want to see the quality of God's love, we look at Christ. We look to the cross and we consider what he has done for us. What, what more could God do to prove his love for us than sending his, his only son to die in our place, on our behalf? 
Billy Graham, the, perhaps the greatest you know, communicator of the gospel from the last century, puts it like this. He says, God proved his love on the cross. When Christ hung and bled and died, it was God saying to the world, I love you. This is the message of the gospel. This is the message of the cross. Christ is the, the love letter sent from, from God. To, to help us to understand the quality of his limitless love. But then, number two, God's love is also limitless in its scope. Okay, so we start talking about, like, God's so loved, and we can, we can buy into that because his love is amazing and absolutely unrestrictive. So, so God so loved the world. This is another a term in this most well-known verse that most people really don't know very well, okay, because let me explain. Uh, most of the time when we think God so loved the world, we just insert the word globe. Like God loves the world, that means God loves the globe, that means God loves every person uh, in, in the world, okay? So let me just kind of correct that by saying, okay, the, the word world shows up uh, 78 times in John's gospel. All right? Now, sometimes it's going to refer to the physical created universe. All right? We see this in chapter 1, verse 10. Uh, sometimes it's going to refer to humanity in general. We also see that used in John chapter 1, uh, verse 10. But then more specifically, and depending on the context, um, it, it refers to not just humanity in general, but sinful humanity. And this is, this is clearly what's going on from the context of, of John 3, 14, and 15, where these people, uh, the, the Israelites who had to look to the snake that was lifted up, um, they, they were experiencing these hardships because they had clearly turned from God. They were grumbling against God. They were going their own way. They weren't worshiping him any longer. And so gr God grabs their attention uh, through this trial that he placed in their life. So, so that's the context before John 3.16. But then after, as we already read, uh, we see that, that we're talking about people who love darkness rather than the light. And, and that's all of us. Listen, friends, this, this is me and this is you. This is all of us apart from God's grace showing us who we are and how much we need him. So for God to love the world here, it specifically refers to sinful humanity, people that were not just indifferent towards God, but opposed to God and had rejected God. But as we keep reading, all right, this is why we tend to interpret world as in globe, it says what? For God so loved the world that whoever believes in him. So now we, just, now we just covered the globe, right? I mean, we just covered every person on the planet by John so eloquently saying, for God so loved the world that, that whoever believes in him, every person that would ever hear of Christ and look to Christ, they can find life in him. God's love is limitless in its scope. I mean, let me, let me just ask you, if, if you're a parent here this morning, um, would you give the, the life of your son or daughter for the good of someone else? I mean, it's, it's almost difficult to even begin to consider, right? I mean, I think many of us would say, you know what, you know, 
I don't think I can bring myself to give the life of my son or daughter for the life of someone else. But I might, I might give my own life, but, but, but to give their life, it, it's unconscionable. It's, it's, it's hard to even consider. Um, and yet, that's what God does. But not only does God give his one and only son, he gives his one and only son to people who had rejected him and opposed him. This is what Romans 5, verses 7 and 8 say. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus died in our place so that every one, every Every one. Can you, can you like say that with me? Every one. Thank you. Did very good, right? It's not everyone, right? It's like ever, like anyone who who looks to Christ. And so, again, can we just kind of step back? Like, like we hear that, like, yeah, God loves everybody. That's good. Good for God. But 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 can we just pause and consider what this means practically? Like we we don't we don't walk out of these doors today and then bump into someone that, that is not eligible for this invitation. Does that make sense? So there's, there's like no one in your neighborhood, no one in your workplace that your eyes will fall on who doesn't fit into everyone. The gift is for everyone. The gift is for, for all who would receive the gift of God's life through his love in Christ. This is why we try to be a church that cares not just about Medford, not just about greater Boston, not just about North America, but we want to be a church that cares about the, the world. So, so every week, just this morning, we prayed for our, our friends, the Luce family in, in, in Tanzania, working in, with, with people all over, scattered all over Africa, so that people can have the hope that we now know in Christ. We want to be a church that, that loves the world like God loves the world. So God's love is limitless in its quality. It's limitless in its scope. And it is limitless in its effect. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So, so, so what, is it, what, is, what does God's love accomplish through the sending of his son to live the perfect life we should have lived, to die the death that we should have died on the cross and rise again so that we can also rise again with him. What is the effect of that? Here's the effect. That the people who were, were going to perish, all right? Per- perish means die, all right? And, and this is not just a physical death, okay? One, 100% of us will, will physically die one day, and we need to be reminded of that. Um, but, but this is a, a spiritual death on the inside. This is not just temporary, but it will go on and on forever, this spiritual death and spiritual separation from God, unless we rectify that position by looking to Christ. So, so, for all who believe and look to Jesus, now in the place of death and perishing, we receive the gift of eternal life. 
And, and what, it, what is eternal life? I want you to think about this. Uh, eternal life is, is more about the state of the quality of that life as it is the, the length of the life. All right? So, so, so check this out. To, to know God, that is eternal life. Like to, to really know who he is, to understand that we were made for him, to understand that, that to, to, to walk how he wants us to walk, to live how he wants us to live, that that, that is what animates us. That's what gives us uh, life day by day by day. This, this, this life, it, it starts now, all right? So, so to have looked to Christ and to have trusted in what he has done for us, that means that eternal life starts the moment that we look to him and believe. And what a, what a comforting uh, message for us today, right? I mean, we live, as, as we prayed earlier, we live in a broken world. And we see brokenness all around us. We see brokenness on the news. But, but, but when we just are kind of, you know, tucked away and it's just us, um, we know that, that there is also brokenness within us. And we need that brokenness to be dealt with. We need that brokenness to be healed. And that comes through Jesus Christ. He died so that we can have life. Life that begins now, life that continues forever with him. This is, this is what John goes on to say in verse 17 when he says this, for God did not send his son in the world, into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus die? It was because God is love, and he loves us with a limitless love that offers us the most incredible gift if we will but hold out our hands and receive it. This is the good news of the gospel. Okay, so, so number one, um, the love of God motivates his gift of life in Christ. But then number two, let's think about how people respond to this, all right? And, and, I, and I hope that you'll consider even how you are responding to this greatest uh, love this morning, uh, and that is this. The second, the second truth I want to give you is this. God offers his gift to all, but each person must either receive or reject the gift, I mean, that, 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 that seems pretty simple, right? I mean, that seems pretty logical, right? Um, if someone offers you a gift, you can either hold out your hands and receive that gift, or you can say, you know what, hey, you can give that to someone else. Uh, I'm not sure, too sure if what's in the box is what I really want. And, and so you can reject that gift. And so this is what verses 18 to 21 tell us. Really, there are, there are two camps of people. There are those who have looked to to Christ, what he did for us, and they have received it. They have trusted in. That's what the word belief means, okay? So, so let me just break down the word believe, all right? Believe is not just saying, okay, um, yeah, I believe that happened. There, there are hundreds of millions of people that would say, Jesus really was a historical person. He really died on the cross. And even many of them might even believe that, that he rose from the dead, but not really believe, okay? So what I mean by that is it's not enough to know that, that Jesus was real and that he did these things, but it's a whole different ballgame to actually trust in what he did 
for us. So in other words, it's like this. Um, we all, um, in the world, okay, um, if, if we believe there is a God, then, then we're all seeking to get to that God to experience what he wants to give to us. And there are either one of two ways that we'll go about that. We'll either try to get there in our own effort and do enough good. Like when I ask people around Medford, like, hey, like, what do you think? Is, is there a heaven or hell? And, and most people are like, yeah, I believe that. So, well, how are you going to get there? And, and the most common answer I still get today is that, well, you know, I, I lived a good life. I'm, I'm a pretty good person. Like, my good deeds kind of outweigh my, my bad deeds. And so I think I'm, I'm going to be good. I think I'm all set. Like, I think, I think I'm going to be, you know, just fine. And, and that is our attempt to, to get to God. But the gospel is what God has done to get to us. And so it's not about trusting in what we can do. That's one path that is a dead-end street. But, but to, to trust in what Christ has done. He lived a perfect life that you and I could never live, which meant that he was the perfect sacrifice on the cross that was acceptable to God uh, to, to pay the penalty for the, the, the sin that we deserve. The judgment that, that should have fallen on us fell on Christ. And so to believe is to trust in what he has done for us so that we can have this life in him. So the results are simply this. Verse 18 says, whoever believes in him is not condemned. That means we're not subject to the guilty verdict that was coming for us because when we stand before God, you know, we know that we've blown it, we've messed up, we have junk in our lives, and, and that is not going to, to add up very well when we're in the presence of perfection. But if we believe, we are not condemned. We are, we are given a forgiven status, a not guilty verdict. But for those who would uh, fail to believe in Christ, it says that their present condition is that they're already condemned. And, and why, why is this? I mean, this may, may sound kind of, it may catch you off guard. Like, why would they already be condemned? It's because we're not, we're not born neutral. We're not born in such a, a way that, that we, you know, um, well, maybe, maybe y'all love God and live for him, or, or, or maybe I won't know. We, we are all born with this, this inner uh, state of uh, a disposition that is opposed to God and is, is capable of, of such uh, sinfulness that, that that is the way that we live our life. We, we go our own way. We do our own thing. We disregard God's plans, and the brokenness then that results is what we, we experience. And so the, the, the end result of that is that we will receive that verdict uh, of guilty and worthy of judgment and condemnation. And, and I, I love what F.F. What, uh, Bruce says about this. Okay? He, he likens it to a, a, an elementary art critic going and standing in front of a, a Da Vinci masterpiece. All right, and, and so what happens when the elementary art critic uh, wants to kind of critique Da Vinci, uh, what's happening there is, is not that the, the elementary art critic is, is, you know, proving how much they know. They're actually, because they're standing before the masterpiece, they're actually proving how much they really don't know, how much they lack. And, and, and friends, this is, this is the, the picture when someone looks at Christ, 
I mean, there is, there is absolutely nothing lacking in Jesus. He is absolutely perfect, absolutely glorious. And so if you have yet to see um, that he is worthy of you giving everything for over to him, then I would just pose to you that, that, that probably what is going on is not that there's anything wrong with the masterpiece. There's probably something just off and distorted in how you are seeing him and viewing him. So my prayer for you today is that you would see God's love in Christ. You would see Jesus as God's masterpiece, the, the fullness of his glory, full of grace and truth. And that you would receive the gift that God wants to offer you. So, so those are the results. Either we will stand condemned um, or we will stand forgiven in the sight of God. But, but the results are based on our Response and so uh, look look at, at the end uh, of of of, uh, of this passage here in verses nineteen through twenty one uh, verses nineteen and twenty explain the response of those yet to believe. Let's read those again. It says this: For everyone who does uh, wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Uh, so these are very uh, stark terms, verse 20 uh, lays out for us. People reject God's love because they actually enjoy the, the, the darkness and they enjoy doing things that are contrary to God. And they would rather dwell in the darkness rather than having their lives exposed by the light. And so, so let, me just, let me just reason with you for a moment, Okay. Why, why is it, I think it's, I think it's a bit ironic, um, why is it that so many other areas in our life, we're perfectly fine with saying, you know what, I don't have it all together. We can look at our health, we can look at our diet, we can look at our exercise, we say, like, man, you know what, I've got some things that I could work on. I could eat a little differently, I could exercise a little differently, I could be in a more healthy state. Or you just take your vocational, uh, professional development, or your intellectual development. You know, it's like most of us would agree, like, I've got a few things I can work on here. I'm not perfect, I'm not, I've not arrived, I'm not all set. And yet, when it comes to like the spiritual side of our lives, no one, wants to, no one wants to give that away. No one wants to act like there's anything wrong with us. No one, like, man, I, I'm good. I'm okay. I don't, I don't need anyone's help with this piece of my life. And, and, I, and I especially don't need God's help with what he wants to offer me through Jesus. But how nonsensical is it to, to even say, you know what, man, I've got it all together. No one has it all together. We, we need for our uh, weakness to be exposed. And so it, it's, it's when that we see how glorious God is, how perfect he is, and how imperfect we are, how much we actually need him, that is when we will begin to move toward Christ to believe in him. I hope if, if that's you today, I hope if, if you've never received this gift of eternal life that is totally transforming in every sense of that word, I hope that you will begin to admit that you have a need in your life, a weakness in your life that, that only God can fill up, only God can meet. 
So that is the response of those who are condemned already, who have not believed in the Son. They, they do that because they, they enjoy what they're doing and they don't want to be exposed by the light. But I love what verse 21 says. Check this out. Um, verse 21 says, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So, so, so here's the deal. All right? um, for those who have stepped into the light of Christ, who have been changed by his light and have actually become light, as it says in Matthew 5, all right, now we're pleased to step into the light and to shine this light that he has placed within us to others, not because there is anything particularly special about us, okay? So if you, if you look at my life, and you say, like, Tanner, man, he, he's, he's a pretty good person, man. Look at how he lives. Look at what he does. Look at how he treats his family. Look at how he interacts with other people. This is what I want people to know. There is nothing that is, that is good inherently in me, but the good that people see is because there is something bigger and, and, and better and beyond me that dwells within me. You, you follow that? You hear that? All right? So, so because God has placed his light within me, now I get to shine that light to other people in all that I say and do. That is the goal. That is the essence of what it means to glorify God. We radiate the radiance of God. We shine the light of God as we step into the light and as we live in the light. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen, clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So, so let me just, as, as we wrap this up, let me just plead with you this morning, okay? If, if you have never received this greatest gift of life that comes from the greatest love the world has ever known, I'm just curious, like, why wouldn't you stick out your hands and receive that from God, even today? Eternal life can begin for you today. There's no reason to wait to receive. If you see what Christ has done for you in dying in your place and rising again, you can have this gift of life. Receive that gift. But for for those of us who have received it, let me just give you two encouragements for this Christmas season, all right? Two encouragements how to respond because you have received the gift of God, okay? So number one, um, let's, let's give back because we have received, let's give back to God heartfelt gratitude. How can we look at what he has done and not be filled with gratitude over the measure of his gift? I love what G.K. Chesterton says about gratitude, all right? He says, gratitude is happiness, a state of happiness that is doubled by wonder. Think about that. Happiness is, gra- is uh, gratitude is happiness doubled by wonder. So in other words, not only, not only does this gift like kind of make me excited and kind of lift my spirits and put me into this happy state, but, but I'm not just happy, you see. I am happy that is, that is actually doubled by a sense of wonder. Like, man, how could this happen? I am in awe of this. I have to step back and be amazed, stunned that God, like, why would you do that for me? Have you ever received a gift like Like, you should not have done that for me. You, you went above and beyond. I would have never expected you to do that for me. This is the kind of true 
gratitude that happens when we see Christ for who he is and we receive the gift of God as he extends it to us in Christ. And and, and on top of that, oh, by the way, um, Romans 8.32 talks about how God sent the gift of Christ, and and it says this, he who did not spare his own son, check this out, he who did not spare his own son, but graciously gave us him up for us all, um, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You hear that? The, the argument is from the greater to the lesser. If God did not withhold his son to give us life, then what else do we have to worry about? He's going to take care of us. He's a good father. He has given us everything, and that should cause us to give God um, heartfelt gratitude. And then, and then number two, uh, let's do this. Let's, let's give God, but let's also give others generous love. If we have received the greatest love the world has ever known, then how can we not turn around and give that love back to God and to those around us? So I don't know what this is going to look like for you, but I can promise you, you are going to have hundreds of opportunities over the next few weeks to serve someone, to be there for someone, to speak with someone, to share a word of hope to someone that is struggling. See, God wants to use us to shine his light with our words and with our deeds. And so let me just ask you, are you you grateful? Are you grateful for what God has done for you? Have you received the gift that he offers you in Christ? If you have, then be generous in that love to others and keep receiving that love day by day. Uh, as he gives it to us. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your gift in Christ. God, thank you that you have held nothing back. God, thank you that you have been limitless in your love to love people like us who did not love you. In fact, we loved things other than you so much more. And so, Father, uh, I pray that you would awaken us. God, for some people, maybe it's the first time that they would receive the gift of Christ. Lord, I pray that you would make that real to them today. Father, for, for, for those of us who have been in Christ for, for some time, Lord, I pray that you would just fill us with this sense of, of double wonder that, that uh, we are simply amazed by how great you are and how, how great your gifts are to us. So, Lord, as we respond to you, as as we uh, sing and as we even uh, move forward from this place today, God, make us shine. Lord, as we look to you, make us shine for you, that all may, may see and know the good things that you have done in us because of your son, Jesus Christ. He's our hope. He's our life. We give you praise today. His name, amen.